continuing with our more sermons from the Mount sermon series this morning. And as we do, I'd like to begin with a uh, expression, throw this out there. I'm sure it's one that you've heard before. Don't know how often you've heard it or how recently. Think back to the last time you've heard someone say this three-word phrase, don't judge me. You heard this before? Uh, maybe recently uh, you've heard this, don't judge me. Maybe, maybe you've said it. Maybe you've said it to someone in the past. Maybe you didn't say it quite like that. Uh, don't judge me. I mean, you can stress different parts of it, but but for the person that says this, don't judge me, this phrase, we say this phrase or we hear this phrase and it almost seems to justify any kind of uh, behavior, right? Don't judge me. Uh, it's kind of a, a magical phrase. I found a, a blog this week written by a, a college professor. I wanted to share part of this with you. I thought this was good. Uh, he says, I'm all too uh, familiar with this phrase. Don't judge me. This phrase springs up everywhere, he says, in the dining halls, on campus when a friend chooses that not-so-healthy dessert, in the library when a classmate against the rules uh, will copy and paste from Wikipedia to fill up space in a paper. Don't judge me. Don't judge me, they'll say. And often what we mean uh, when we say don't judge me is really just don't think less of me, right? Don't think less of me in an off-handed way. Maybe last weekend, maybe last weekend, you know, maybe as you gathered around the Sunday Easter dinner table, maybe you said to your friends, your family gathered there, uh, you know, something the equivalent of, well, I don't normally eat half a ham, 17 deviled eggs, and an entire banana cream pie for dinner, but it's Easter. Don't judge me. We, we laugh at the ridiculousness of, of signs that, yeah, you know, th say things like gun-free zone. But equally expected in the postmodern age is this idea of the judgment-free zone. Don't judge me. It seems a person, it seems a, especially a Christian, is expected to be tolerant of anything, right? Every way of life, uh, no matter how immoral or unethical or, or unwise, all you have to do is uh, say those three little words, don't judge me. A friend of mine once told me that although he had an appreciation for Christianity, he could respect people of the faith for what they believed in. Religion just wasn't for him. The best part, the most ironic part of the conversation was the manner in which my friend ended it. He, you guessed right. He said to me, don't judge like your Bible says, lest you be judged. And at that point, I was wondering, well, why did it really make a difference what my Bible said, you know? But obviously, this expression, don't judge me, the first verse of Matthew chapter 7, they've been used countless times by countless individuals, often not to reflect any kind of biblical principle, but rather as a watery way of saying, just look the other way from what I'm doing right now. It's really none of your business. Don't judge me. And Jesus does say, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, the first verse of our text this morning, read it with me. He does say this, judge not that you be not judged, or you too will be judged, in another translation. And yet, this is the same Jesus quoted in John uh, 7, two, uh, excuse me, 7, 24, who says, stop judging by mere appearances, and instead judge correctly. So which is it this morning? We might wonder, 
We might be confused when we pull this up. Is it biblical for us to say, don't judge me? I mean, no matter what people are doing, are we, the church, just to turn a, a, a blind eye? Uh, no pun intended at this point. Are we supposed to look the other way? Mind our own business? Should we just accept others for however they want to live? Or as we as Christians, to show some kind of discernment from time to time? Otherwise, what separates the Christian from the pagan, right? How could one tell the church of Jesus apart from anyone else if we didn't make a few judgments from time to time? What does Jesus expect from us, our Christ followers, to judge or not to judge? And this morning, that is our question. And to answer this question, let's read through our full text together. We'll start with that verse 1. We'll read the whole text up through verse 6. Maybe this will help clear up any confusion. Starting with continuing well beyond verse 1. Jesus says to his followers from the mount, he says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Okay, that's the end of our text. And, and wow, just look with me right now again before we go any further. Just look at all the judgments that Jesus says to make right here. Almost immediately after he says, judge not. I mean, I mean right here in verse 2, Jesus talks about using some kind of measure to make a judgment call, doesn't he? Verse 5, Jesus uh, mentions taking the log out of your own eye, so then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So obviously then Jesus is not saying, don't judge. Obviously then Jesus isn't saying, don't ever judge behavior. But Jesus is cautioning against judging behavior blindly or hypocritically. In verse 6, which we just read, Jesus talks about not giving dogs what is holy, not throwing one's pearls before pigs. We'll dig into these uh, terms more uh, specifically in a moment. But we can see even at a brief glance from this text, there are obviously judgments which Jesus calls us to make. And so the only way Christ followers could sensibly be told to judge as well as not to judge in the same part of the same Sermon on the Mount is if there are different forms of judgment, some Christ-like and some not. You know, in agreement with the don't judge me lot, Jesus does say there are judgments that Christians are, are not to make. Let's talk about those. I think first and foremost, we can see back at the start of our text here in the first couple verses. Number one, Christians are not to make a judgment call on where someone else is going to spend eternity. Never, ever is it appropriate for Christian, for you and I to make a judgment call on someone else's e eternal destination. That's not our place. 
it's been said that even the Lord waits until a person has died to pass judgment upon them. So why don't his followers do the same? Hebrews 9.27. And this is why Jesus doesn't mince any words when he says this to us. Verse 2, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Book of James, chapter 4, verse 12, puts it this way. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Do we ever judge our neighbors? Do we ever do that? Are we ever guilty of that? You know, I doubt if any of us here this morning uh, would say, uh, you know, that there are times that, that we've, we've possibly anointed ourselves, appointed ourselves lawgiver, judge, and maybe even executioner over another soul in this lifetime. I doubt there are times that, that we would, do, oh, you know, we've never, never done that. Can't be done. Can't be done in a church. Have you ever thought to yourself about someone, even, moment, even, even momentarily, has the thought ever even crossed your mind? I'd hate to be in their shoes on Judgment Day. They're going to pay for what they've done. What, what kind of a person, what kind of a person would do something like that, would live that way? The Lord's going to fill in the blank that so-and-so. Has the thought ever crossed your mind? I know it doesn't sound like an important distinction, but these kinds of thoughts aren't righteous. They're self-righteous. And the devil loves when we think these thoughts about others. The devil loves when we think these thoughts about others. There's a Pharisee that shows up, Luke 18, uh, verses 9 to 14. This is Jesus' parable, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And we have the Pharisee who's convinced that his own self-righteousness was keeping him in God's grace. He's convinced of this. He might not admit that, but he's convinced of this. But at the same time, he's condemning the nearby tax collector in his very prayers to God. Do, do we ever do the same? You want to turn there briefly with me in your Bibles, you can, Luke 18. Remember in this parable, if you, if, you, if you don't remember, the Pharisee's praying to God and he's saying, Oh Lord, thank you that I'm not like other men. I'm not like these guys, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Judgments. Meanwhile, the tax collector in the parable is so ashamed of himself and his own sins, the Bible says he can't even look up to heaven. He instead begs for God's mercy. So the tax collector goes home justified before God. The Pharisee does not. Whatever measure you use against someone else, it will be measured to you. It will be measured to you, you see. It's not our place to make this kind of a judgment call on someone else. I think the devil's sneaky. I think he likes to convince us that we're being graded on the curve spiritually, that uh, our sins are relative. We like to think that the, the sinner who makes his dirty deeds public and personal against us and, and never darkens the door of a church building is somehow guiltier of hellfire than the sinner who sweeps everything under the rug and sits in a pew every Sunday. Jesus says, judge not. Be not judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. We've talked about this before. Uh, Jesus isn't saying that you have to like everybody. Face it, that's not going to happen. But if we expect mercy, Matthew 5, 7, we have to learn to extend mercy to others. We have to extend it. There's a temptation 
You know, like this Pharisee in, in Christ's parable to, to pray people into hell, isn't there? Here's, here's an extreme example. There's a now infamous uh, quote-unquote congregation. They've made uh, national headlines out of Kansas. You've probably heard of this group. Uh, they're located just a few miles from the state capitol building in uh, Topeka, Kansas. This group refers to themselves as a Baptist church. You've probably seen them on, on the news pop up a time or two. But my friends, there's nothing Baptist or Christ-like about their behavior. Here's a hint. If your Christianity asks you to perpetuate hate speech on social media or desecrate flags while picketing funerals, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You missed the point. With the measure you use, we'll be measured to you. That's terrifying. Called to love, not condemn, Romans 2. And I think this is an important point to make, too. You know, just as we can't pray another person into hell, uh, I'd like to mention also we can't pray another person into heaven. Here's another way we're asked not to judge. Uh, sometimes as a minister, there's pressure upon me maybe to deliver a message, maybe at a funeral, using language that, boy, says beyond a shadow of a doubt where a deceased person now stands with God. And, and friends, that's not a judgment call I can make. It's not a judgment call I can make. And, and that's, that's a tough one because... I know the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord if a person is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, but the second part of the equation, that's not for me to say. I can't make that call. That's between you and your maker. So important to remember, we can't make a judgment on where someone else is spending eternity. Why? We're not God. We're not God. And I think this is important for God's people to keep in mind first and foremost this morning, the measure we use. The measure we use. But what's another, what's another judgment call? What's another judgment call that Christians are not allowed to make according to Jesus? Well, it goes, back, it goes on here in verses uh, 3 through 5. We're also not to make a judgment superficially based on the way a situation appears to us. Uh, we can't make judgment calls at face value. And why is that? Why, why is that that we can't make a judgment call at face value? Well, often it's, it's because too often we're not seeing straight. We're not seeing straight. Let's read verses 3 through 5 of our, of our text again. Jesus says this to us. He says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? Verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So what exactly is Jesus talking about here in regards to logs and specks in the eye? I mean, that sounds worse than an eye patch, you know? But logs and, and, and specks in the eye, do you think it could be that sin clouds the vision? Sin clouds your vision allowing for improper judgment, right? This is not me uh, this morning, brothers and sisters. Let's just say objectively here. Let's say there's a preacher and he's struggling with something. Let's say he's struggling with, with a sex addiction. Let's say this preacher is struggling with a sex addiction and he just refuses to deal with the problem. 
Let's say this guy won't seek any kind of help for the problem. He won't confide in his elders about the problem. He won't seek help from a Christian counselor about the problem. Let's say he won't even be candid with his wife about the problem. And yet, this preacher wants to stand behind a pulpit and preach an eight-week series on lust because he feels it's a problem for the congregation. What's your call on that? Would you say this preacher has any business preaching that series? Or is there a log in the eye of the preacher which makes him unable to deal with this problem clearly? So Jesus is talking about hypocrisy in these verses about the specks and the logs, but what we don't want to miss also from this text is his implication that poor vision is detrimental to God's people. Poor vision is detrimental to God's people. We went through the book of James together. James 5, we mentioned about the idea of confessing our sins to one another, carrying the sins, the burdens of one another. My friends, how can we do that? How can we carry the sins of another if our own sins have affected our ability to see? How can we do that? Well, ever since... Uh, I had this uh, little ice stroke here. I've, I've enlisted others to, to do the driving for me. It seemed like a good idea. Um, this blurry vision, you know, if you see me dump my water over, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not part of the, it wasn't planned. Um, still, still kind of a little off on my overall depth perception. Just can't see clearly at times. And so I, I'm just not comfortable getting in, in the old uh, mercury sable it's a collectible, Mercury Sable. It's not quite an old vet, but it's a collectible now. That's what I tell myself. Um, just not comfortable getting in the old Mercury Sable and trusting that proverbial log in the eye, you know? Um, I'm fearful that if I get behind that wheel, I'm going to end up driving halfway off the road. Let's just say I did that. Let's say I did that. I get stuck uh, northbound on Crystal. Uh, somewhere, you know, it gets a little narrow up here, up by the hill. Well, let's say somebody sideswiped me. Let's say somebody sideswiped my, the old sable trying to get around me. Let's, let's think about how appropriate it would be for me to then yell at the guy, you lousy driver! You know, the other side of the road. I'm, I'm dialing up my insurance company. Couldn't you stay behind the lines where you're passing, fella? Couldn't you see, you know, I'm doing the whole Don Knotts thing, you know? Can you see where you were going? What lousy depth perception you have. Well, you know, my vision, my, my vision was cloudy from behind the wheel, and my poor eyesight was, was uh, trying to make sense of the road. My, my depth perception was off, made for poor judgment on my part behind the wheel, right? I'd have no business condemning someone else for their poor driving when I was driving poorly in the first place, right? That makes sense. But we do this in the church. We do this. We make superficial, hypocritical, surface judgments. With other people, we like to sit around and talk about how someone's been gossipy. We, we blow off a Sunday service for a big game, and then we, we wonder why sporting events are always seem to be a bigger priority for so many parents than school academics. We talk about one individual who always rubs everybody the wrong way, and we say, well, that, that guy is certainly full of himself. He's just not very humble. That guy is not very humble. He could stand to show a little humility like me. 
Humility is one of those things that once you know you have it, it's gone. Isn't that strange? Nothing else is like that. But we do this. We, we judge superficially, don't we? We judge hypocriti- uh, hypocritically. But Jesus says, don't, don't do this. Don't judge this way. Deal with the sin in your life. Deal with the sins in your life. And then worry about it in the lives of others. One author writes, a fault in one's own life is a far greater problem than the same fault in another's life. Because when we go about making judgments based on what we see, brothers and sisters, we're going to give away our biases, we're going to project our own failures. When it comes to fixing sin, it's got it's to come from within. There's always more than meets the eye there. But what judgment calls are encouraged for us? Jesus goes on here. What judgment calls are encouraged for Christians? I mean, if Jesus tells us again, John 7, 24, not to judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment, well, how do we do this? What what does it mean exactly to judge with right judgment? Well, right judgment is going to go beyond one's own prejudices. It's going to go beyond one's own biases and struggles and issues. Right judgment means we're pointing somebody back to the judge. Right judgment means we're pointing somebody back to the judge. For example, we'll, we'll talk more about false prophets later on in this series, false teachers, but later on in Matthew chapter 7, verse 16, Jesus tells his followers to look out for who? He says, the wolves in sheep's clothing. And he says, we will recognize them by their fruits, doesn't he? He says, we'll recognize them by their fruits. Here, Jesus is warning his followers that there are false prophets, false teachers in the church. Right judgment means we've seen the fruit of the Spirit in the lives of those leading us. Judging with right judgment. Judging with right judgment implies God's standards. God's standards, not ours. Right judgment, the the judgment made by those Old Testament judges that God brought up. Or the New Testament elders he calls today. Judging with right judgment isn't about elevating oneself. Judging with right judgment means I want God's mercy embraced by my brother and my sister who's showing signs of unbelief. There's a big difference there. It's a big difference there. Christians are called to judge. We are called to judge. Absolutely we are. But our motive is what makes all the difference in whether to judge or not to judge. One author comments that Jesus does more judging than any other figure we find in Scripture. But his motive in judging is to expose the sin and deliver people from evil. Besides the fact that he's God, this too should be our motive in passing judgment. Well, maybe maybe we're hearing this, maybe we're thinking about his words this morning about the proper motive for judging, and maybe we think, well, well, that's not me. I I couldn't do that. I could never pass any kind of judgment on another person. Uh, I'm not going to stick my nose in their business. Even if somebody's living as if there's no God, even if God's word's being shortchanged in their lives, that's not me. I'm going to not judge them. One author goes on to give the following illustration about how, brother and sister, sometimes it, it, it is our call to actively judge with right judgment. There's a time and a place. Uh, I'd like to share this with you. Let's say there's a patient sitting in a, in, a, in a doctor's office and they're awaiting test results from a biopsy. The results clearly show cancer. Cancer is, is weakening the patient. The doctor doesn't want to point out anything negative. 
anything negative to upset the person. The doctor says, everything looks fine. Doctor tells the patient, everything looks fine. Sends him on his merry way. Well, what becomes of the patient? The, the cancer progresses. The patient passes away. We, we would call this malpractice, right? The doctor didn't care enough about the patient to tell the truth about the condition of the patient. What else could we call this? Certainly not love. And in the same way, my friends, when we judge righteously, when we confront sin or an ungodly lifestyle in someone's life, and there are times we are called to do this, not self-righteously, not superficially, not because we think we're better than they are, but because we're called to speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4, judging with right judgment. And when we don't, we may run the risk of allowing a spiritual death. And that's not love. That's not love. From time to time, we have to make a judgment call. There's going to be times... We are called to do this. We have to do this. We have to lovingly point others back to the judge. But here's the thing, and let's look at verse 6. Jesus says, proceed with caution. Jesus says, proceed with caution. Jesus says this, and then we'll get into this uh, a little more specifically. Jesus concludes this whole section by saying, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. And, you know, this final verse of our text may strike us as a little unusual today. Maybe we hear this, we think, huh? You know, uh, you, maybe we're wondering who in, the, who in the church is actually going around offering uh, Bibles to miniature schnauzers or jewelry to pre-cooked ham, steak, and bacon strips. Because let's be honest, that's why God gave us pigs. Dogs he created for my wife. <laughs> Can't find a scripture for that, but I'm sure she'll have me find one. Not to eat, though, but sermon got really weird at that whole dog-eating part today. But as more than one author points out, Jesus' audience at the time of the Sermon on the Mount wouldn't exactly have thought of dogs in familiar terms of that cute little puppy at the foot of the recliner, and they definitely wouldn't have looked at a pig as pre-cooked ham steaks or dinner of any kind. At this point in time, the dogs weren't domesticated. They were wild animals living on garbage and roadkill. We're not talking about fluffy. And to be honest, a, a Jewish follower standing on the mount listening to Jesus would probably rather have thr uh, thrown a schnauzer on the smoker than a pig. Pigs were considered unclean, unfit to eat. So what point is Jesus making in verse 6? He's making the point that speaking the truth in love is holy, it's costly. Not everyone whom we decide to deliver the truth in love is going to take it well. Judge with right judgment. Judge with right judgment. This is where Jesus is going with the dogs and the pigs. God's people are going to suffer ridicule. We are going to suffer ridicule for what we believe from time to time. So we have to take care in how we present the things of heaven to a world that's going to hell. Judging with right judgment is an ongoing calling. We need to be careful when we witness to those who are just going to bite us back. Some will. We have to recognize this. There's an old story about a farmer who discovered a poisonous snake. The snake was frozen to the ground during an extremely cold winter. The snake said to the farmer, If you pick me up and hold me to your stomach, your body heat will warm me up to good health again. The farmer said to the snake, 
If, if I do that, you'll bite me. But the snake answered, why would I do that if you save my life? The farmer believed what the snake said to him. The farmer had compassion on the snake, and so he picked him up and began holding him across the torso. The snake was revived quickly by the warmth and resumed his natural instincts, biting the farmer. Oh, cried the farmer, letting go of the snake. Why'd you bite me after, after I saved you? Of course I did, hissed the snake. But you knew I was a snake when you picked me up. The moral goes, if you cozy up to a snake, you should expect it'll bite you. And if you've ever been turned on or attacked by someone to whom you were, you were once just trying to be Christ-like, you'll know that not everyone who talks a, a good talk in the dark wants to walk with you in the light. Some animals, we just have to let God take his dominion over, don't we? Judge with right judgment. To judge or, or not to judge, that is indeed the question from this morning's Sermon on the Mount. You know, the world says, don't judge me, but instead Christ says, take care how you judge. Take care how you judge. My friends, this week, how, how may I challenge you to, to judge not as Jesus, not as if you were Jesus, but to judge like Jesus? Author John Bloom offers a, a six-point checklist on the subject. I'd like to share these with you in closing this morning. Number one, Bloom writes, to, to judge with care. Caution. Judge at your own risk. For how you judge others says far more about you than how you are judged by others. You must take great care that your judgment, like Christ's, is always charitable, always full of mercy, always full of amazing grace. Number two, Bloom writes, be quick to believe innocence. You know, do we do this? In the United States judicial system, when a person is accused of illegal transgression, yet the evidence against them is inconclusive, we presume innocence. That's the way it's supposed to work. We presume the person's innocence until evidence can demonstrate guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, right? What if we did the same way as the church? With every judgment call we, we made, wow. Number three, Bloom continues, to judge carefully. Be thorough before pronouncing guilt. In 1 Corinthians 13, 7, when Paul writes, love believes all things, this is the kind of charitable judgment he's referring to. Why don't we believe the best about a person instead of the worst? Why don't we do that? Number four, number four, aim for restoration. Restoration should be the goal. When evidence confirms transgression has occurred, a second way we can take great care in how we judge is to aim for restoration with that person. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Restoration is what Jesus Christ died on the cross to achieve. May we prioritize restoration as well. Number five, and this one's very important. This one could make a big difference right here. Number five, keep the judgment confidential if at all possible. Even if we're not personally involved, even if we're distant observers to a situation, we can still aim for restoration. We can still make that our goal by not saying anything. Not saying anything is sometimes the hardest judgment call to make, but it's important. And finally, number six, when in doubt, don't judge. Don't judge. When in doubt, no, Jesus has not called the church to be a judgment-free zone. We're going to have to make judgment calls. 
But in this life in which we're all guilty sinners, every single one of us inside and outside this door, those forgiven, the church, of their sins. We're called to be judgment wary. Be careful. I don't know how many uh, fans we have here this morning of uh, uh, Judge Wapner from TV's People Court. Any, any fans here? Remember Judge Wapner? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. That's close. I'm getting to singing today. Um, I probably can't do Judge Wapner. I might be able to do uh, Doug Llewellyn, but I, not, never mind. But Judge Wapner, who, who passed away last year, uh, he was on this small claims reality TV bench quite a few years, really before we really started hearing that term reality TV, if you remember right. Uh, from 1981 to 1993, uh, Judge Wapner was uh, the people's court guy on television. That's quite a few years. Before this point, I looked this up, I thought it was interesting. Uh, he actually served on the L.A. Municipal and then County Superior Courts from 1959 to 1979. So uh, he was an experienced judge long before he got on TV. You know, it's safe to say that Judge Wapner had a long tenure as this American judicial personality for some of us a lifetime ago even. But here's the thing, Court TV fans, there, there's a judge whose rule goes far beyond this life, far beyond our day-to-day judgment calls that we may make, far beyond our lifetime to eternity. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, 33:22 says his name is the Lord. And unlike the people's court, his claims of his courtroom go far beyond small claims. Petty grievances. Have you let the Lord be the judge of every decision you make? Have you? On judgment day, when you step into his courtroom, will he be pleased with you? Will the court be pleased with you? I can't judge your heart, that's not my place. But I will urge you, let the judge preside over it. Now, not later, one day his court will be in session. And judgment will be for eternity. Throw yourself at his mercy. It's been offered freely. And likewise, judge carefully. Would you pray with me? Lord, I I pray that as inhabitants of a world in which We're either too quick to judge or not careful enough, not thorough enough in our judgments. Lord, I pray that you would work in us. Lord, I pray that the decisions that we would make would be godly ones. Lord, I thank you for the judgment calls that we make to follow you. I thank you for those that have that have have chosen and decided to to, to be obedient to you. And Lord, I just pray that, that we as your followers would listen to these words that you give us from the mount to remember the measure that we use will be used to us to remember, Lord, that mercy and grace has been offered. 
out of your love. Lord, help us to always aim for restoration in our lives as far as is possible. Ultimately, Lord, may it be a restoration of the soul. Lord, we know we, we can't control other people. Lord, sometimes we, we have trouble controlling the, the very decisions we make, but yet you've, you've given us your word and your spirit. Help us use it. And help us follow him. Lord, help us to judge with careful judgment, with right judgment, as followers of the judge. Lord, I, I thank you and I praise your name for that blood that was shed for us, forgiving us of all of our sins, of all that separates us for you, from you. I thank you and I praise you. Thank you, Lord, that we can, we can count on that blood. Lord, help us to perpetuate the truth of that blood to a lost world before your court is in session. And it is in the name of Jesus I pray these things. Amen. One of the hardest, uh, most difficult truths to accept, we all have to accept in this place, is that there is a hell that is burning. It's, it's not a comforting message, it's, it's not a message you, you want to hear, but it's the truth. And there's mercy and grace offered to you right here. If you've not yet made a decision to follow Jesus, to be immersed in him, to have all of this taken away from you, be set free from sin, made new creature. I urge you to come forward, be immersed into Jesus, repent and be baptized, put on Christ. If you have another public decision that you'd like to make today, we invite you to come forward in his mercy and his grace and his love as we stand and sing, come home running. If you haven't yet made your walk, your run home, if you haven't yet begun that journey, we invite you uh, to do that as uh, we stand and sing. Come home right.